I am Kara Barbrick with the Space Foundation, and you're listening to the Space For You podcast. Space For You is designed to tell the stories of the amazing people who make today's space exploration possible. Today, we are joined by Dr. Cora Lupi and Mike Hockenberry from Compunetics, one of our most recent inductees into the Space Foundation Space Technology Hall of Fame. Dr. Giorgio Coralupi received his doctorate in electrical engineering from the Politecnico di Milano. He has served in the Italian Armed Forces, worked for the Electronic Research Laboratory of Olivelli, American Optical Company, and Carnegie Mellon University. Since founding Compunetics Inc. in 1968, he has been president of the company and of its subsidiaries. Michael Hockenberry, Vice President and Federal Systems Division Manager, has been an integral part of Compunetics for over 32 years. Mike was hired in 1988 as a design engineer on the NASA Goddard Voice Switching System. He also developed the conferencing module for the company's first commercial conferencing systems, the Context 240 and 480. Additionally, Mike has held the positions of Hardware Circuit Design Engineer, Program Manager, Federal Sales Account Manager, and Divisional Manager. He holds a Bachelor of Science degree in Electrical Engineering Technology from Penn State University. Thank you both for joining today. Thank you. Thank you. I'm pretty excited to be on today's call, especially since we're using the space technology that we just inducted into the Hall of Fame to actually record the podcast today. We want to take this opportunity to express our gratitude to the Space Technology Conference uh, because uh, it is uh, in, in an absolute acknowledgement that... Uh, we never even think about. You know, I'm accustomed to live in an environment in which uh, if you do something nice, people tell you, nice boy. If you do something <laughs> ugly, people remember forever. Now, here I am encounter the Space Technology Conference which uh, grants an honor to Computetics and to myself for something we did 50 years ago almost. <laughs> so that means they have an excellent memory and power observation whether that thing which seemed nice 50 years ago, 40 years ago, whatever, that thing which seemed nice there, it is, still looks nice. Okay, and uh, that's what you're saying. And that is comforting, essentially, to everything which has been part of the team. I would say it is a well-deserved honor just from the, the small pieces that I keep gathering from what, what you've done over the years as a whole. And I feel like this, this space technology is just one piece of that. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I remember a few years ago when there was uh, somebody from Chennai in India and uh, he wanted to talk with me and uh, he told me, I came here because I wanted to see the father of conferencing. 
And I said, who's the father of conferencing? Well, nobody <laughs> had that label for me, okay? Now, this guy, Dr. Mahaningam, I don't know if you met him, but uh, later has been in our environment a little bit. But uh, uh, basically, we were so finished that job, so intensely dedicated to the next job that uh, we didn't have time to celebrate too much, okay? But in reality, that system which we built for NASA supported the flights of the shuttle for 20, 21 years. And uh, that was, uh, nobody had anticipated that 20 years before, okay? And then shortly thereafter, we bid and we won a contract uh, with the Federal Aviation Administration. And then on that, we took the opportunity to design the architecture of what could be a commercial product. So after the FAA went from the air, okay, now we had on our hand a product which we could sell anywhere, okay? And uh, in reality, it caught up very fast and got caught up by its own power, its own strength, because uh, the market reacted to the point that, uh, just to make an example, a company here in the United States, which uh, shortly after we introduced them to our product, started appreciating it, and they bought... Mike, can, can you imagine 98 contacts for under 80 ports? And I went to visit that. It was like a football field with these 98 two racks, 19-inch racks, okay? All of this. And I said, oh, my God, we did this. Okay. <laughs> we did this. But that was one major customer. And there were... All over the world, there were people wanting our product. So it was, was really amazing. And then there's been, in a sense, the continuation, which uh, started then to develop, to offer better features and, and utilize better the simultaneous and parallel development of the telecommunication vehicle, telecommunication networks, and that made the whole thing very interesting. And in parallel, we continued working with agencies of the federal government. For instance, one job that we considered very important was the air protection of the United States. Basically, until 9-11, The U.S. was monitoring the aircraft which were coming in and out of the country, okay? After 9-11, the country decided to monitor the traffic internal, okay? So if I wanted to take off from Pittsburgh and go down to, anyway, pick a name, okay, Miami, I, I right now I had to fire a flight plan, and when I'm flying, I had to stick to what I fire. Okay, if I don't, uh, 
there's somebody from the ground which calls me and say, by the way, are you out of something, okay? Um, do you need some help or whatever? And uh, if the pilot doesn't respond favorably, uh, well, there may be two aircraft coming from the ground to track that airplane, understand what he really wants to do, okay? So that is a way of essentially monitoring the air traffic inside the United States. Well, we did install that, and there was a major, again, major accomplishment, something which has not been done before. That was one thing. So there was some element of uncertainty, some element of risk, okay, for us, because maybe we work very hard on something and people don't like, okay? <laughs> yes. If All you right. don't mind, can we can we go back a little bit to maybe the a little farther back in history to sure. from you you coming from Italy. So you, you were born and raised in Italy, got your degree in Italy. What brought you to the United States? I enjoy the working environment I found in Olivetti. Okay. Olivetti had a development lab in the United States, which for their own reason, they transferred to Italy. So I had some colleagues, bosses. My bosses was a Canadian and uh, another was uh, English from Britain. And there was a variety of things. There was a, a mathematician, it's very smart, very educational for me. And uh, it was, uh, okay, it's, 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 it's what else, what happened at that time. But he was a colored American mathematician, which was very happy to be accepted and revered in the environment where we were working. So it was an environment very healthy of People, everybody wanted to do something which did not exist before. In a sense, was a group of people who had just developed a was the first European large-scale computer, and uh, it was built using vacuum tubes. Okay, at that time there were no certain no supercomputer, but there were no not even silicon components. Okay, there were germanium components. Okay, and then somebody invented working with silicon, and then the whole industry developed in computers. Okay, and we were getting notice. So at some point, then Olivetti thought maybe I'm going to uh, open a lab in California. Okay, just to share in what the style of thinking is there, but they were very satisfied with the unique products they were producing. And I was working there, okay? I was in an environment very atypical, okay? For instance, when I was there, I didn't even have a seniority of one year, uh, spending all my time studying quick, okay? They introduced me a very a senior member, okay, let's call it 
or who you call senior, 60-year-olds, something like that. And uh, they told me, this gentleman is going to be general manager in another tower, okay, where there is a plant for Olivetti. You have six months to teach him everything you know. So they dedicated to me this guy, and for six months, I had the responsibility of teaching him everything I know, okay? And was a very, very stimulative challenge for me because I have always to learn more because I wanted to have more to give him, okay? It was a strange experience, but it was very productive. Uh, so it was a company a little where these things were happening. But uh, I saw that for some reason I felt some lack of autonomy. What moved me to come to the United States is that I could project a work condition where I would not report to anybody. Okay? <laughs> now that may be not, not educational for anybody else, but that was some stimulus, the having the responsibility of producing results so much so that you're still alive, okay? Because incidentally, as a company, we have been near difficult situations many times because it's easy to say that's no problem. One day I, I went home, I told my wife, do you know what is happening in this country? I said, what's happening? Every time I tell them, that's no problem. They believe me. And then I had to do the job because I told them it's no problem. But uh, I, I had not experienced that, that every time here said, oh yeah, I can do it. And, and at that point, the only honorable thing for me is to say, oh, I said, it can be done, I'll do it. But that was very risky because uh, in that way, you don't really measure well the development cost. Sometimes you say, yes, I'll do it, but instead of doing it in six months, I do it in two years. And the cost associated bring you to the point where people wonder whether we're going to make payroll next week, okay? And we went through those phases. The company survived them all, maintained its independence. There was always somebody who wanted to kick me out and pick up the company, and uh, it never happened. And the company is still here. It's healthy, it's uh, balanced. With time, again, some ability probably of value a little better, the development costs, okay? If you want to tell you one story of how a unpredictable life was. One day I was in Pittsburgh, I show up at work, and there is a call. And uh, this captain, such and such, wants to talk with you. So I go there, and this captain, which I know, he told me, I want to see you tomorrow here in Washington. I said, well, listen, let me, let me check my calendar. Don't look at your calendar. I want you here tomorrow at 8.30. And uh, I, I went. 
I went with uh, one of our marketeers and uh, we spent the whole morning. They explained the problem. There was a large company which had defaulted on a contract, but the product they needed was so crucial that absolutely they need a solution within four months. So I told this captain, listen, do you mind leaving ourselves by ourselves in this room so they do something, we do some thinking without your presence? So I said, how much much one? I said, half an hour. He left. Then he came up in half an hour. I said, what do you think? I told him, I think we can do it. Say for format? I said yes, format. So a few people came over and gave me better, more details explanation. And the job was doable, okay? So I went down to Peaceful. The next morning I collected all the engineers. I said, we have a fantastic opportunity. This is a great job. And uh, again, we have four months. So let's give it top priority to everything. Let's do it. And we did it. But everything had to be designed, okay? It was still in the time when there was no supercomputers, okay? And there was no multiprocessor, no nothing. So we did your job. Excellent. But at that point, the job had to be tested at sea. Okay, was a product for the ships had to be tested with C, and uh, and the product was there in the uh, loading dock of our company. Okay, was this uh, Captain XYZ calls me a day, one day, and says, "What happens with my job? Well, your job is ready." What do you mean, ready? I said, it's on the loading dock. Why don't you ship it? I said, Captain, we never got the contract. How irresponsible I was. Start working on a job, I have no contract. <laughs> and Captain XYZ forgot to make sure I got the contract. Okay? <laughs> Finally, within a couple of days, I got a letter contract, sign, sign, ship, okay? And uh, that's it. But those are, if you want, that was the environment in which I was working because occasionally there was always somebody calling me for a problem, okay? But besides that, there was also fundamentally some relationship of trust, okay? So I was not afraid that I would not be paid, okay? The only problem is that I didn't have the money when I had to make payroll, but that was another problem. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Mike, can you tell us a little bit about the problem NASA had (laughs) that led to the space technology we honored this year? That was uh, back in 1988 that I was hired. The company had uh, already won the voice switching system contract for Goddard Space Flight Center. And I had joined, and as Dr. C described, the company um, was very bold and uh, signed up for uh, doing a job 
that uh, was uh, very large. We had won that contract from one of the large um, telecommunication carriers at the time. I was a young engineer and uh, did not realize uh, just how much work there was uh, (laughs) that needed to be done. But um, I was eager to learn, and um, that created a very stimulating environment uh, for me personally, even though it was uh, working around the clock. I worked uh, a lot of hours. Um, Back then, um, the machines that we would use to lay out circuit boards were so prized that we worked a 24-hour shift on the machine. And uh, I remember that I would take my lunch in the middle of the night. We would go to Denny's and uh, it's just what we did. And uh, I actually got to uh, go to Goddard Space Flight Center and spent many, many months uh, actually at Goddard as part of the uh, initial install of the voice switching system, which, by the way, was the telecommunication conferencing hub for all of NASA. That's actually what the system was. I was at Goddard long enough that I got to join the astronomy club at Goddard while I was there. And I actually got, during lunch, I would go to their meetings and I got to see images coming down from Hubble that nobody else in the world got to see yet uh, just by being there at that time. It was a very interesting environment. And the, uh, the company had won the uh, second contract. It was kind of a sister contract called the Voice Distribution System, or VDS. And um, as part of that contract, um, I got to do some of the developments for that. But that was um, a very large installation for what NASA called their, their payload operation control centers, or POCs. So the Hubble Space Telescope was a POC, or payload operation control center. And uh, it was a very stimulating time for me as a young engineer. But as Dr. C described, the company was very bold, and um, we definitely experienced um, some tight times, if you will. And and Dr. C had uh, always told me that um, in many cases, uh, winning some of these jobs is like taking your favorite hat and throwing throwing it over a very tall wall. And now you have to figure out how to go get your hat back. And uh, we've done that many a times. Yes, I would say with with boldness comes that that trial and error. And can you describe a little bit more what your capability provided for NASA? So, I mean, what what exactly did it do for them that was different than what they had before? The system that we were replacing, the basement of the building that the equipment was in, was just racks and racks and racks of wiring that. If they wanted to change connectivity of who is in a conference, um, there were people that would go down with soldering irons and have to re-solder connections. Our system was a pure digital system, unlike what we replaced, which was primarily analog. 
And because it was digital, all the summation of audio of everybody that was speaking and, and listening was done mathematically uh, in a digital format. Because of that, it was so quiet that the NASA operators, when they first went live on the system, were concerned that it was so quiet because it was all digital. Uh, we actually talked as to whether or not we needed to make a modification, inject some noise. Uh, <laughs> some white so noise. They, yes, which we did not have to do. They became comfortable with just how quiet the digital system was. But it was a architecture of 4,000 what we call ports. A port is a voice circuit coming in. And it was installed at half capacity, a little over 2,000 ports when it first went in. But, you know, that architecture was the basis of, as Dr. C described, what ultimately the company took into the next generation of that, into the basis of a commercial platform. So, Dr. C, I, Mike alluded to the fact that you guys were not the only ones that were working with NASA and competing for these contracts. Do you think it was your boldness or was there something else that really put you guys to the front and help you win that contract? Nobody helped us. Even the very first contract we had as a company was six months after incorporation. We got the first contract with the Navy and uh, they came down to visit us because I was concluding that if I don't win this contract, we're done because there was no income. So I decided to bid so low that they had to look at it. So they called me. I said, but don't you think you made a mistake? You bid so low? Oh, no. Uh, I bid the cost of material and, and, and the rest now. I don't worry about the money. Okay. So they came to visit me, and of course I had to go to Sears and Robot to buy folding chairs because I didn't have to put them to sit. But uh, they came down, they kept me for a morning to the late night explaining my design. Right? And that was exactly what they wanted. And again, they gave me the contracts. But uh, I was not equipped, okay. One day they come to see progress report, okay, on this contract. And I was sitting in the drafting board, designing circuits, all those kind of thing. And uh, so they were happy. But then they took him aside and they say, they had honcho. He called me and said, how are we doing with progress payments? And I say, could you please repeat? I pretend that I didn't understand. Could you please repeat? How are we doing with progress payments? And I say, I don't know what they are. I didn't know what they were. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know nothing. So a couple of weeks later, I opened the mails, which I used to do once a week to open the mail open the mail, and uh, there was a document saying it is in the best interest of the United States government 
to make the contract to provide for equal monthly installment payments without the contractor making a request. So they said, this guy doesn't really know nothing, and we give him so much per month. Let's not wait for him to ask that he doesn't know how to answer. And, and that's the way he can. And uh, I had to acknowledge, for instance, people say that people who start a difficult company, a strange company, they have unique talents. It didn't make it was not unique talent. I was helped. Somebody, the whole system helped. For instance, from DCAA, Defense Contract Administration Service okay, Agency, they sent me an accountant to explain to one of my girls' clerk, from a clerk, explaining her how to keep in the table of the numbers, keep the books, okay? After a little while, they sent one retired former, former technical person from the Air Forces. They sent it to my place for, I don't know, six months or for how long to teach us quality assurance. So we were great, Mike, we were great, but the whole system somehow, they helped us, okay? And that's what we need to acknowledge, okay? Yeah, I, I have to add, Kara, that um, the unique aspect of Compunetics, um, a lot has been in the realm of uh, what Dr. C has driven with the company to the contract says what it says, but what does the customer need it to do? And while the contract is a framework, the essence of what the customer needs the system to do has always been very important to the company, to Compunetics. And I can remember countless times of us going above and beyond necessarily what the contract says to make sure that the behavior of the system is meeting the customer's needs. And that, that has been true for my entire career at the company is that we're looking to satisfy what the customer needs. The customer has a mission and we're helping that customer achieve the mission. I have a few sayings in the company. One of them is the quicker they're happy, the quicker they're ready to buy more. But that, that basically, I don't like the contracts where the two parties, they play into picking each other's pockets, okay? We must, might as well cooperate. It's, it's good for them, the product, because they bought it. It's good for us because it's a major accomplishment. Let's cooperate. Let's get it done without arguing too much that uh, if you ask me to, to change this little thing, the contract amendment, come on, let's get it done. Actually, one day, Captain such and such, you know what, uh, came into my, he was in Pittsburgh on a few airmen checking something, and he came to me and said, you know why I like working with Compunetics? I said, I don't know. 
There must be hundreds of reasons. And the guy said, no, there is one reason. Every time I ask you to do something, you say, that's okay. It's a minor thing. And we are going. Even because when they, the government said, and no, not everybody, but in some cases, when they specify a new product, they specify without having direct experience. So it's obvious that sampling is over, it's, it's ignored, it's not thought about, it's not detailed adequately, it doesn't keep into account that the product has to be user-friendly, okay? So in the process of making it, you learn both the customer and us. We learn what needs to be. And if you stop that process and become a never-ending sequence of contract amendments, and much disastrous for both parties. So then you were getting the company and they were telling you, we want a faster horse. And you said, well, I can give you a car instead because you, you knew that was better for the company. Yeah, of course, of course. So Kara, one quick story that Dr. C tells our employees. He describes that we are painters in the creation of what we do. And that as a painter, we need to uh, make money to be able to buy food and whatnot. And so we sign our paintings, our products, and we sell our painting. And we sell them. We have to make a living. We sell them. Yes. They still carry our signature. So we don't want the customer who buy something and the piece of equipment collects dust. That's not the purpose of our paintings. The purpose is to do a good job and everybody say, wow, that's a painting purpose. It's still our painting, even though they have it. Yeah, yes. So you've developed a number of different things and have a number of patents. We touched a little bit on the one uh, with the FAA. Mike, do you want to kind of expound on uh, what Dr. C was talking about with how critical that was in our nation's history? Yes. So everybody that was around when 9-11 happens kind of remembers where you were, what you were doing when that that day started to unfold. And uh, I happened to be on uh, I-70 heading to Baltimore to do some uh, shock and vibe testing on our new conferencing platform. But as that day started to unfold, Compunetics had one of our program managers working the night shift at the FAA command center in Herndon, Virginia. And his wife actually called him that morning and said, do you see what's happening? And he said, no, he was sleeping at the time. And so he called over to the command center and they asked him to come in to try to help. They were overwhelmed with everything that was unfolding that day. And for those of us that were there, um, getting a phone call was challenging just to get a phone call through that day. But um, he had called me 
And he had said, is there any way we can help? And I got a hold of Dr. C and I conveyed the request. And Dr. C said to me, he said, Mike, he said, let them know we will clear the deck, meaning course call, if they need any capacity. And our program manager worked with the controllers at the command center to make connections up to our place in uh, Monroeville to chorus call. And chorus call then hosted four to 500 party conference calls on behalf of the controllers at the command center for the following two weeks after 9-11 happened. Um, not a lot of people know that, but that's actually a little part that Compunetics played. They were using our system at the command center, but they just didn't have the capacity to talk to everybody that they needed to talk to. And course call was leveraged to extend their conferencing capabilities and talk to all the people around the world about what the new rules were going to be going forward. Wow. Not, not a lot you can say to respond to that, except thank you for, yeah. for clearing the deck and making that possible. Well, actually, there was uh, we had some follow-on meetings uh, up at our place as part of the just the ongoing uh, contract we had with the command center. And uh, I can remember the one controller said, um, would it be okay if I go and uh, see some of the operators down in course call? Uh, he wanted to go and see them and thank them. Hmm. And was he able to do that? Yes. Yes. Well, on a little bit lighter note, perhaps, I want you to share the story as well about your IBM Deep computer that has a little bit of a history in uh, chess. Dr. C, would you tell us about that competition? With the Yari Kasparov. We produced for IBM products which was used in the generation of this machine. But uh, they invited me to assist to a match game with Kasparov in uh, Philadelphia. I think it was Philadelphia. So I went there. And uh, behind the, the official table where they were playing chess, there was a room with all their machinery all the, and all their wise, uh, abstract, mathematical geniuses, okay, which were advising the, the actual player who was moving the, the pieces, okay. And uh, that match, I think, ended up as a tie. But what impressed me most, uh, that after the match, uh, Kasparov said on one side, and restart with the pieces at time zero, okay? And he played back how the match developed. So at this point, I could have done this, I could have done this, I could have done this. But if I had done this, you would have done this, you would have done this, you would have done this. He remembers not only his steps, he remembers steps of the adversary, adversary. And he remembers all the options they have to prepare any one of the steps. He had in his mind not only what the match had been, but what the match could have been if it meant something different, if the other guy was, I was really shocked, okay? And uh, it's, it's one of the time 
when I came out and said, Giorgio, you think you were smart, but not as smart as the guy, this guy. Honestly. <laughs> really, that's a, it's a, that's experience in front of that situation. Yeah, and as part of that relationship with IBM, this is with the Watson Research Center, um, CompuNetics for Deep Blue, we would actually design and build the circuit boards that were the main processors for Deep Blue. IBM developed the, the actual processor itself and obviously the software, but CompuNetics actually uh, built the hardware that was the sort of the brains of Deep Blue. Now, prior to that, prior, say, a couple of years before the Deep Blue, we had the event with the supercomputer where the management couldn't spend any more on a product that was not going anywhere. So they called me to be there if I wanted to, and I did. I went with two guys, I know the names, and uh, we did it. We did it. But I was so upset that uh, when they started questioning that I would have there's not much money on the table for you. I said, listen, you call me here. I didn't talk about money. I want to do now one thing that you don't know what it is. I'm going to do this job for free. So I came here because there was a problem. Let's fix the problem. And then if we want, we talk about money. If we don't, forget it. So we work a couple of months without any compensation, neither expected, not, we had no agreement. What when I was finished, they congratulated Coruscant call, and I went back home. They didn't want to issue the pricing of that case because uh, they were afraid of punching on the nose of something. So they let a few weeks pass, and then they gave me a proposal to work on another job. So they emerged from the transaction with class, okay? They understood that they were indebted with something, but they didn't want to argue how much, because maybe I was screaming, okay? So we settled, that was nothing, but they gave me contracts for a few years. We developed a relationship of a few years, and it was very good. They were very honorable, we were very honorable, and that's the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, I got to experience that a little bit, Carrot, with uh, I went up to the Watson Research Center. We literally met in the cafeteria and sketched out what ultimately was almost a million-dollar project. Wow. But there was a tre- tremendous amount of trust between uh, those, those engineers and, and our team. I continue to hear this really common theme of you guys see problems and you just work to solve them no matter how big, no matter what the the contract is, no matter what the payment coming. If there's a problem, you are going to make that solution come about. Would you say there's any problems that you're looking at right now that you're you're in process of solving or Yes. But uh, I hesitate to talk too much about it because it has not reached conclusion, 
okay? But uh, the problem I worked on that is a problem of factoring large integers, and uh, I could develop the theory, which uh, apparently is unique in solving what some people call the the management of the carry. You know, when you make multiplications, you have the carry from digit to digit, which uh, can be a confusion of flowing or carries from the least significant to the most significant, and uh, they're not, not a priori predictable. Well, I have a transformation of the problem into different space where the, man, the carries are being managed. So that's a great help. And uh, and then I proceeded with the analysis of matter. We seem to have a solution, a file for the patent application, because the patent officer has no vested interest uh, in favor or against. He's not an agent of any other company, okay? So the patent office has granted a patent for the factorization. So now I'm starting re-walking that path with a couple of new young engineers and mathematicians. And uh, how, I hope fairly soon, could be within a year, I have factorization of some large number. And, and then it's time to talk. But that's very fascinating. I helped to file a patent application which was granted by the patent office uh, for uh, what they call the discrete logarithm of Louis prime. Uh, it's, a, it's a study of the so-called exponential congruence, whatever that is, but, uh, but that's the way it's being called. And uh, so I found if that's also another method of an importance, practical importance of these methods is because they are used to encrypt a message, okay? There's so much message which is encrypted and it's being encrypted for the protection of legitimate private things and also for the protection of illegitimate uh, threatening things, okay? And uh, so there is all, there will be a real confrontation between different points of view of that uh, everything has to be privatized and protected or everything has to be available to inspection for everybody. And the different methods will try to fight against each other. But let's see first what is the reality or the, the real complexity of these algorithms. Then once they are solved, then all the wise people can say what they think. Excellent. To those of the listeners today who maybe think they're not capable of doing what you did and having the success that you did, could you tell us a little bit about how failure factored into all of your inspirations? Well, failure has been part of my life. Partial failure. Or failure sometimes, uh, for instance, for that 
product which I find a solution for month, okay? I was mentioning before. After I solved the problem, my MSA, I'm afraid that I had to give this job to somebody else, not to you. And I said, listen, I'm the guy who solved the problem. Yeah, but you're on the verge of bankruptcy. And I say, Captain, I'm on the verge of bankruptcy because I work for you. Okay? <laughs> and he said, what would you do in my shoes? I said, I don't know. I don't try to wear your shoes. I know what I would do in my shoes. Because I have my thinking, my thought process, my responsibilities. You have your thinking, thought process, responsibility. If you think in your shoes, you had to give the job to somebody else, go ahead, give the job to somebody else. And that's what they did. And after two to three weeks, I got uh, a call from somebody in the Navy who wanted to talk with me. He said, I got the, an order from Washington to give you an order for 24 ACM. ACM was a product that we had manufactured, means a synchronous channel multiplexer. Okay, I don't know if, if you ever saw it. It was a 19-inch stamp. So they gave me an order of 24 units, sole source. There's no other offering the same thing. So we sold 24 of that, we produced. They kept us going for a while. So they also emerged with some dignity in their, in their picture, okay? Which is good, but uh, that was enough for a while, okay? And then uh, keep going. I was never ashamed of the difficult, the financial difficulties. That's it. When I didn't expect money from somebody, from some golden investor, nothing. I didn't expect nothing, I never got it. So, but I know that when I had difficulty making payroll, that was hard. That was very humiliating, no? Mm. If you want to tell you a story of one time, the first time I didn't have money for payroll, I called everybody in the, in the conference room and I say money, so I'm sure. They told me it's already in the mail, but then I got it. So to, Today, Thursday, is when I used to pay per hour, Thursday. I, have, I say, I just have a few dollars in the petty cash. So there's not enough to pay anybody. So let's make first question. Does anybody need a few dollars of this to buy gasoline to go home? Someone has to go home. No, everybody has gasoline. So I said, okay. So I make a proposal. Let's go to the Parkway Inn, which is not too far from where we are sitting. Let's go to the Parkway Inn and use this few dollars to buy beer for everybody. <laughs> I went, wow, everybody were happy. And the guy came back to me, shake my hand, said, that is leadership. Okay, that's leadership. A couple of days later, Next Monday, got the check in the mail, distributed the payroll, everybody was happy. 
So how do you cope to to events which are really humbling, humiliating? I take it with some friendliness. I'm friend of, of being poor. It's part of my experience. That's it. Let me get by by beer to everybody, and then what is happening? Every time we were making a shipment to a, a new system, to the Navy, to the Air Force, to whomever, we were making a shipping party. Every employee of the company, that evening was dancing in, in, at the company, and uh, we had the shipping party. I used to describe the DNA of the company this way. I would say, if you want to understand some of the real parts of Compunetics, Chorus Call, patience, persistence, and passion. Absolutely. Yes, I, I could hear that in every story that you shared, that patience either to get paid or the patience to, to solve the problem. And the persistence is, is very evident. You know, I have uh, 50 years of stories and they are too long, okay? <laughs> I presume that in 20 years I will be gone. But no, maybe six months. I don't know. At some point I will be gone. But, but not your legacy. I think your legacy is legacy. clearly passed down to everyone that's had contact with you. Yeah. The company is today uh, all about collaboration, collaboration tools and it's unfortunate with the current pandemic, but uh, as you can imagine, the company is busier under the current conditions where, as Dr. C says, uh, it's important that our tools help people and that we feel a calling that that's um, a role that our company is playing in uh, current events. Well, I, I thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. And that concludes this episode of the Space Foundation Space for You podcast. You can subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and on Google Play. Remember to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. On all of these outlets and more, it's our goal to inspire, educate, connect, and advocate for the space community. Because at the Space Foundation, we will always have space for you.